Well, I have to begin this evening uh, with a confession. This time of year, I like to watch a Christmas story on TV. Don't judge me for that. It's Christmas Eve. In fact, right now, probably right now, there is a marathon going on of that, that movie, a, a Christmas Story. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, that's the, you'll shoot your eye out. And uh, it, it revolves around uh, a little boy's dream of getting, here's what it is, the Red Rider Carbon Action 200-shot range model air rifle BB gun with a compass in the stock. Now, my sister actually got me one of those uh, since we've been adults. Uh, she, she got me one, uh, although I have to say it doesn't have a compass in the stock, but that's all right. It was still a nice, nice gift. Uh, the reason I bring that up and if, if you uh, watch the movie, there's so many quirky things. I think it's a classic. My wife, Connie, just thinks it's weird, okay? <laughs> and I'm sure I've just divided the congregation in this moment between those who, who think differently. In that movie, you've got uh, Scott Fargus flick. You have a boy who gets his tongue stuck to... Uh, a, a frozen flagpole, a uh, little boy who can't put his arms down because his coat's too big. You're remembering uh, all these. I can tell some of you have seen that as well. And, uh, uh, of course, there's the Christmas dinner at the Chinese restaurant because uh, the turkey was eaten by the Bumpus' dogs. This movie... Um, Believe it or not, among those 19 to 41 is the most popular Christmas movie out there right now. It has replaced, you know, some that others would think of as classics and uh, with the marathon. It, it wasn't very popular when it first came out, and yet it has built and built and built an, an audience. It has everything. You're not going to like the next line. Uh, <laughs> except the real Christmas story. I'm still going to watch it. But for these next few moments, and thank you for finally, you know, for at least a reaction, you know. For the next few moments, I want to remind us because it's so easy. There are so many movies like that. There's so much going on out there like that. There are those that, that are, are interviewed. Um, you know, I, I love Garrison Keillor. I think he's, he's the finest storyteller in the, the nation, maybe in the world. But he basically, in an interview, said, you know, it's just about friends and food and song, and that's all you need. 
there is another story. And for these next few minutes, I want to give you that story the way God gave it to us in one sentence. And here's what we're going to do. It's going to be like where um, we take off in, a, in an airplane. You know what that's like if you've flown. You look out the window and everything is just flying by uh, at first. That's what it looks like. And that's kind of what the Advent season is like for a lot of us. It's just, you know, going right by. And then you get up a little bit and uh, you, you lose a little bit of a sense of how fast you're going. And then you get up to 30,000 feet and you see a, a big picture down below. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to take you above that and give you the picture from heaven. Not that I would have any insight if God hadn't given it, but in His Word, this is how He describes Christmas in one sentence. It's two verses, but one sentence. Galatians 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the real Christmas story. Let's break it down. When the fullness of time had come. On the evening of April 13th, 1970, Apollo 13... Uh, was approaching the moon. Some of you remember this live. Some of you remember it because you saw the movie. They were approaching uh, the moon, and uh, this was to be the third group that was going to land on the moon. They were 200,000 miles from the earth, which boggles the mind. And all of a sudden, warning lights went on. Something was wrong. And that's where that famous uh, statement came. And that was, Houston, we've had a problem. And they did have a problem. There was no hope of completing the mission. The only thing they could possibly do was to try to come back. The danger in that was that the heat shields had been damaged. And so there was the concern that when they, when they came back into the atmosphere, that they would just burn up. And so every, on every mission, you had that moment when they entered the atmosphere and they lost contact with Nassau. And that's what happened. There was silence, and then there was mission control. Saying, Apollo 13, this is Houston. Do you read me? There was silence, and then... That's all they could hear. Apollo 13, this is mission control. Can you hear us? Again and again, they petitioned, and it was the same. It was the silence, the static, and nothing. Hopes began to fade. 
until they finally said, we have contact. You may remember the scene. They exploded in cheers, and that happened all over the world. The Apollo 13 blackout lasted only a few minutes. Earth had a problem. Sin had entered into the world because of the actions of our representative, Adam. Because of that, there was separation between God and man. And yet, almost immediately, though there was a curse, there was a promise that there would be salvation to come. And then, throughout the Old Testament, there were promises after promises until, boom, there was silence. And it wasn't a few minutes of silence. It wasn't a few days or months or a few years. It was 400 years. Imagine. How many people during that time would have said, it needs to be now. We need a Savior. We need something. Now's the time. What is God waiting on? And then after the 400 years, it was the fullness of time. At the right time, God brought forth His Son born of a woman. What, why was it the right time? Well, at that time, after those 400 years, Rome was in control of the known world. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was prevailing which enabled safety on the great Roman roads that went all over the known world at that time. And because of that, the good news of the gospel was able to spread. Not only that, but the previous domination of, of uh, Greece caused them to have a common language. And so, when there was good news, it spread quickly among people who spoke the same language, and that language is what the New Testament was written in. In terms of religiously, you had the Roman Caesars, and you had the Greek gods. All those who followed that, they demanded worship. But the Roman Caesars and the Greek gods never returned love or grace or mercy or relationship. And that's what there was hunger for. It wasn't man's timing, but it was the fullness of time nonetheless. Even after the birth of Jesus, think about that. You know, when, when some hailed this, this, finally the Messiah's here the Christ is here, and then it was not until 33 years later that he went to the cross and provided for salvation. No doubt, many during that time were saying, now's the time. The fullness of time is God's timing. It is seldom ours. It is always his when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son.
So why, when he was king of heaven, would Jesus leave that place to come to earth? Well, as of a, a couple years ago, Jose Mutsika, who was the president of Uruguay, held a, a unique title. And that title was uh, given to him by the BBC. They called him the world's poorest president. The reason they, they did that is because he lived outside of the main city after he was elected. He lived outside the main city in a, a, a worn-down house where the weeds were growing up, where the only things guarding him were two policemen and one three-legged dog. He lived there with his wife. They hung out laundry to dry. He donated 90% of his salary to causes he believed in. He said, I don't need all that money. When they, they did the required uh, reporting of his net worth back in 2010, it was $1,800. And that was because of his 1987 Volkswagen Beetle that he still drove. The article went on to say he didn't have to live that way. In Uruguay, they, they have a, a, a beautiful uh, residence for the president. That's where all the other presidents had lived, and I suspect those that come will live as well. He could have lived there in the opulence, but instead the article said he shunned the privileges he had. He, he had the right to enjoy so he can stand in solidarity with the people he serves. That's so unusual in our world that it made world news. Let me tell you of one who went farther and deeper and who had more right at his fingertips. In Philippians 2, it says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That is the nature of Jesus coming at Christmas. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Now, I spent a whole uh, uh, Sunday a couple of weeks ago, talking about the virgin birth. We won't do that again tonight. It's online if you're interested. But what's the point of him being born of a woman and that in a lowly estate? What were the reasons for his poverty? Theodotus, uh, who was a, a martyred saint from the 4th century, wrote about that. He said, the Lord of all comes as a slave amidst poverty. The hunter has no wish to startle his prey. 
So he chose his birthplace in an unknown village in a remote province, born to a poor maiden, and accepts all that poverty implies. Now here's the thing. Then he goes on to compare what the other options for his coming would be. He said he could have come. What if he had come uh, with a, a high rank? Then unbelievers would have said, this world was transformed by wealth. Or if he had been born in a great city in Rome, people would have said that transformation was brought about by civil power. Or suppose he had been born the son of an emperor. They would have said, how useful to be powerful. Or a son of a senator. They would have said, anything that was accomplished was accomplished by legislation. But instead, he chose surroundings that were poor and simple, so ordinary as he came almost unnoticed so that people would know it was the Godhead alone that had changed the world. That's why he came the way he did. So that there could be no mistaking it wasn't, it wasn't any of the world's power that changed anything. It was the power of God himself that changes lives. And that's the only explanation. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. One theologian talks about the the concept of substitution. He said the, the, the idea of substitution is at the heart of both sin and salvation. Because he he makes the point with sin, man is substituting himself for God. But with salvation, God is substituting himself for man. You see, that's the nature of the gospel, the Christian gospel. There's no other world religion that says anything like that. It's all about what we do to get to God in other world religions. It's only Christianity that talks about God that came to us and provided for salvation. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Remember, we're still taking the view from heaven. The view from heaven is that without Christ, we are orphans. And he talks about adoption. He chose us and he got us at a great price so that we could be sons of the living God. We hear a lot about smuggling at the border. Uh, I read this that I'm I'm pretty sure is a a parable about uh, something that took place down there. There was a a border guard, an officer, customs officer, and he he sees a a white pickup truck pulling 
towards him. And just something in his gut says, this is not right. After they do that for a while, they begin to have that kind of a sense. And so they stopped the truck, pulled it over. They looked underneath with the mirrors. They, you know, pulled uh, the bumpers and uh, they looked uh, every place they, they could look in the engine and so on. They searched him and everything in there and finally they just had to let him go. The next week, the same guy in that truck came. Same thing happened. They all sensed and so they, they pounced on it. It happened again and again every single week. They never found anything. They finally had to, each week, just wave him through. Finally, after a number of years, that officer that was so frustrated was about to retire. The driver pulls up, and he says, look, I know you're a smuggler. I, I, I just know you are. I can tell. He said, look, I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm getting ready to retire. But will you please tell me what you've been smuggling. The driver said, trucks. <laughs> what happened? The officer had missed the obvious. He had missed the big picture. Tonight, I don't want you to miss the obvious. I saw an article that said that a billion dollars worth of gift cards will go unused. So if you gave a bunch of gift cards, just know, probably some of those will go unused. And I, I believe that. I've had that happen. You have been offered the ultimate gift. Christmas is the account of a great gift being offered. Don't miss it. Don't miss the obvious. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. Let's bow together. Lord, will you, will you open our hearts to you? There are so many things that have gone on this past month and probably even today for a lot of folks here, things that would pull our attention away from the real Christmas story, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to miss the obvious, but instead to grasp that wonderful gift offered to us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.